I believe we are now ready to begin. We have a few seconds prior to beginning our Bible study tonight, which I'm going to continue what I just fell a little bit short last week. The the conference that we had in Tullahoma was encouragement in discouraging times. And we covered both a situation with David and then also with Abram. And I last week I had hoped to, to uh, cover Joshua as well, but we fell short. We started, but we did not complete that. So tonight, what I would like to do, and you can begin to turn there, begin to turn to our scripture reading, which is going to be in Joshua 1, 1 through 9, although we'll probably begin actually in Deuteronomy 31, where he is commissioned. And therefore, you can begin in Deuteronomy 31. That's where you probably should be. That gets us into Deuteronomy, which is where we really are uh, studying on Wednesday evenings, but most of our time will be spent in Joshua, Joshua 1. We have a few seconds for spiritual preparation. Spiritual preparation, of course, is our confession of sins. It's ensuring that we are in fellowship, that God the Holy Spirit is able to lead us, to teach us, and to help us as we study the Word of God. And this evening, we have much to cover. Joshua's life seems probably very much straightforward. But instead, he really uh, goes through a transition here that I think uh, if we were able to observe it in a, a more detailed degree we would see that there was quite a bit of pressure there. And that's what we'll try to describe this evening. But in our spiritual preparation, confession of sins, and focusing on the lessons that we can find here on our Bible is critical. So let's take a few seconds, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and you have this time between you and God the Father to prepare yourself for our study. Dearly Father, we're thankful that you have provided for us through the Word of God a spiritual life, how we should live, how we should respond to not only what you have provided for us through the Word of God, but how we should respond to situations that we encounter every day. And those encounters can derail us very easily if we are not grounded in your word and filled with God the Holy Spirit, whether it's at work or at home, with the family, with neighbors, with other employees, those who work for us. Father, it's very easy for us to lose proper perspective. So tonight as we study about 
the early life or the midlife, I guess we could say, of Joshua as he begins to take command of Israel. We know that he was never really in command, but you were. But he is serving you. And Father, it's understanding how to serve is sometimes the question that we must answer. So we ask for your blessing upon our our service this evening, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First of all, before we go to Joshua 1, 1 through 9, I'd like to spend a little bit of time with the intro to this and a background. The background here, as we read through these passages, I think we very often miss the the tension, uh, the drama, the anxiety that must be gripping Joshua. There's hints of it there, but unless we're truly attuned to it, we can miss the situation that faces Joshua. Think about replacing the greatest leader that Israel has ever had to that point at least, and arguably in all their history. Think about taking charge of two to three million people, their children and their animals. Joshua, I believe, was under tremendous pressure. Joshua had been Moses' assistant. He'd been his assistant for approximately 40 years. It is one matter one matter to be an assistant. It is com- a completely different matter to be the leader or the commander. It always appears easier from the passenger's seat. And how often have we been in the pa- in the passenger's seat and we want to tell the driver how to drive? It's very easy to do. It's not as easy from the driver's seat. Moses and Aaron had stood in front of Israel. They had stood in the 70 leaders, elders, who were mediators between between Moses and the people and in front of the leaders of each tribe. Joshua had led the armored forces, the armored forces for military action when it was required. And he was also, we could say, Moses' assistant from being his right-hand man, uh, protecting him, assisting him in the things that needed to be done. Joshua's responsibility with the military was certainly important, but uh, it was not required all that often, more so when they arrived across from Jericho. But moving from his position as assistant to the leadership role would be a daunting and even a frightening shift for Joshua. This change might have been on Joshua's mind for many years. In other words, during his time as Moses' assistant, floating through his mind at various times might have been something that would sound like this. What I would have done or what I would do if I was in charge and those who are assistants, those who are deputies, that very often could be understood. 
But giving advice or second-guessing is easy compared to being on the hot seat. Joshua, however, was not the presumptive replacement for Moses. Moses had asked for a replacement, and he asks for that in Numbers 27. And God named Joshua. Could there have been others? Yes, there could have been others. Caleb is another individual. But at that point, Joshua was not necessarily following in Moses' footsteps because he was going to be the next leader. The next leader had to be named by God. So let's see the progress of this change of positions. We can call it a change of command. And also, we'll get a chance to read Joshua's actions when Moses finally departs. We'll also see how God deals with Joshua as he assumes leadership of Israel. So let's turn, first of all, we have Joshua 1, 1 through 9 here. But let's turn to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. Joshua's commissioning. Deuteronomy 31, verse 1. And this is an incredible passage as we read this and understand what's happening. Because in Numbers 27, Joshua has simply been chosen. God has placed his hand on him. Verse 31, or uh, chapter 31, verse 1. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old. I can no longer go out and come in. That's a figure of speech. That means I can no longer accomplish the daily requirements. Why? Because God was about to take him. Not because he was ill or he was too old or he couldn't see, he couldn't hear. That might happen to us, but at 120, Moses was still vital. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has come to me, has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy those nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land, and he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. And then in verse 6, this is a, a passage that is used in several different ways as we go forward. Be strong, be resolved, and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 7, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong. And again, this word for strong, I think, means to be resolved. 
be devoted to what needs to be accomplished. Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you, Joshua, shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you, Joshua. He shall be with you, Joshua. He will not leave you, Joshua, nor forsake you, Joshua. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. And I think that Joshua needed that encouragement. Being the assistant for those 40 years, and as he probably tired now and then of the responsibilities that he had, but now he's taking command. And the Lord speaking to Moses, and then Moses speaking to all of Israel, understands that this is going to be a difficult transition. So here we are. We've read from Deuteronomy 31, 1 through 8, and that passage acknowledges Moses' departure and it acknowledges the commissioning of Joshua. Moses gives Joshua the same advice that God gave to Moses prior to him going to Egypt. I will be with you. Moses, of course, did not want to go to Egypt. But the Lord said, I will be with you. Let's turn to Joshua now. Well, first of all, before we go to Joshua 1.1, getting a little ahead of myself here, I want to make a couple uh, comments as we look at Joshua Uh, at Deuteronomy 31. I think it's important here to notice that while Joshua is announced to be Moses' replacement, the emphasis really still remains on Moses and his actions prior to his, his departure. We're going to have Deuteronomy 31 all the way to Deuteronomy 34. So we still have quite a bit of information that needs to be communicated before Joshua is uh, in command. So Moses is going to still be involved with what's happening. And I think this is the custom, the custom in a military change of command. In a normal military change of command, the outgoing commander gives a farewell speech saying thank you to those who supported him, He expresses the honor it was to have been the commander. He says goodbye to those in the command. And the flag of the unit is then passed to the new commander. The new commander accepts or takes the flag, welcoming the challenge of command. He thanks the outgoing commander. And then in a short message expresses his honor and appreciation to be the new commander. But his remarks are generally brief because this is the day that the outgoing commander is honored for his service. And I think what we see here at the end of Deuteronomy is very similar to that. Joshua is not given a chance to say anything at the end of Deuteronomy, probably didn't want to say anything. He just wants for this ceremony to be over. Then, during the final chapters of Deuteronomy, the life of Moses is celebrated. He and Joshua, Joshua helps him. God says to 
write a song. And that song is to be taught, sung, and memorized by Israel. Moses' final blessing is seen in uh, Deuteronomy 33.1. God escorts Moses up to Mount Nebo for his death in chapter 34. And we read Moses' remarkable obituary, possibly written by another prophet or a scribe. Uh, We really don't know. Probably not written by Moses. Thus, when we arrive at Joshua 1.1, 30 days after the change of command and all the mourning for Moses has concluded, finally, finally we can say that Joshua is center stage. And I think that Joshua at that point feels lonely. As we will confirm, Joshua seems hesitant to take charge. Moses is a tough act to follow. It does not appear that Joshua has been preparing for a quick start to his first day of command. In the military, we're told, when in command, take command. When in charge, take charge. And I'm not sure Joshua is anxious to take the reins of command just yet. And therefore, when we arrive in Joshua, Joshua 1, we're going to see the Lord speaking to Joshua. So Joshua, by the way, I would recommend you read Deuteronomy 34. Uh, that is uh, That obituary is just very remarkable. And when I said that Moses was still very vital, we read that in verse 10. It says, but since then... Since Moses, there had not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent to him to do in the land of Egypt before. In verse 7, it says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Diminished. So that is Deuteronomy 34, 7. So that tells us, that one of the reasons why Moses still wanted to enter the land is because he felt like he did when he was 20 years old. He was ready to go. All right, now, in Joshua 1, 1, we'll read to verse 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, and that's a plural, so it's given to you all. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and of the great sea, the great sea is the, uh, the Mediterranean, towards going down of the sun shall be, uh, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you. 
to your face, is what it literally says. So no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the land, all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And of course, this is a figure of speech. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left. It means don't disobey it. Maintain the law. Be obedient to it. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. In verse 9, I think many people have memorized They'll very often see it on plaques in their homes. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that is a passage that you should memorize, realizing that God will be with you. There's no reason to be afraid or to be dismayed. But... Almost every day we are dismayed. We may not be afraid, but we are concerned. We are discouraged. And it can be a constant problem for us. We must remember that we must not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And of course, Joshua has also had the promise that God will go before him. It's not as if He is going to be uh, leading Israel across territory that no one has preceded him. God is going before him. Okay, first of all, the book of Joshua begins with a statement of the situation on the east side of Jordan, the Jordan River, and that's what we read in verse 1. Moses had written the first five books of the Bible. We call it the Torah. And now there must be a transition from the Torah to the historical books. And the first one is the book of Joshua. But this is more than a transition. It also, once more, honors Moses as we begin the book. It says that Moses was a servant of the Lord. Joshua is introduced, but he is described as Moses' assistant. And this is not to belittle Joshua, but in a way to express Joshua's qualifications for the position of command. He has been Moses' assistant. If there's been anybody prepared for this, it's Joshua. Forty years of preparation. Joshua was not stepping blindly into command, 
But God knows that Joshua needs encouragement, a huge nudge to get started. God knows what we need and when we need it. So as we read about Joshua, we should not in any way think, hmm, Joshua looks like he's kind of getting off to a slow start. No, God knows what we need and when we need it. And that's what we see with Joshua here. Secondly, God breaks the silence. Interestingly, we do not read that Joshua has been praying to God for the last month. He very well might have been praying and meditating on what's going to happen once the mourning for Moses has concluded. So he may have been praying earnestly to God. But we're not given any information about Joshua's action. It may be, I may be wrong, but I think Joshua is overwhelmed by the position and with his next step. What am I to do next? He is probably hoping that the mourning for Moses would continue for another month or maybe even two. But that will not be so. The Lord breaks the silence. He says, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And I suppose this statement could be taken several different ways. But to me, God is saying, Joshua, are you waiting for Moses to appear and give guidance as he has done in the past? Joshua, Moses, the man that you've been following for the past 40 years, is dead. Now, Joshua knows he's dead, but God needs to get the lapels of Joshua and say, Moses is dead. Guess who's now in charge? You are, Joshua. So Joshua needs to understand that if anything's going to happen, it's going to be him initiating it. Fourth, God commands Joshua to arise and get up. The command could be understood as, get ready. But I like the command, get up. I think that's the best way to understand this. The implication is that Joshua is sitting, pondering his next move. And notice that God is not suggesting, he's not recommending, but he commands Joshua to get moving. And you might ask, well... How else could God have spoken to Joshua? I don't know. But it seems to me that Joshua, as I've said in the past, is dithering. He is not up early in the morning and ready to go. So God knows what it's going to take. And that's an imperative to get the ball rolling. Point five. God says to cross over this Jordan. You... Joshua, and all this people. This is more of an alert to prepare. In the military, we say that we have an initiating directive. It doesn't tell the commander how to do it. It says, get ready. And so this can be taken as uh, an initiative, intonative directive. God has been promising the promised land for 40 years. And now the moment has arrived. God has promised to give the land to them, Israel, 
But they may, but they must go, take it, receive it. And that cannot be done from the east side of the Jordan. So the initiative has been sent to them. Now, I'm not being critical of Joshua at this point because the next step is not going to be easy. The Jordan River is overflowing its banks. Turn to 3, Joshua 3, Joshua 3.15. Joshua 3.15 is now after the two spies, we could call them, have gone to Jericho, has met Rahab, and they've returned. And now we're getting a little bit more information here. And in Joshua 3, 15, it says, let's start in verse 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, the, uh, and then in parenthesis, for the Jordan overflows its banks during the whole time of harvest. So what they're facing there is a overflowing, and we could probably say even a raging river. So this is going to be challenging. Israel at this point does not have a means to cross the river. Also notice that this is probably a a notification to Joshua to begin the planning because he doesn't jump to his feet and say, okay, let's go. And Israel jumps up and we all start running towards the river. No, that's not what's happening in Israel. Joshua is a military man and he knows that planning needs to be done. Um, He knows that it will take a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month of preparation because he needs to prepare 2000 or excuse me 2 to 3 million people to cross the to cross the Jordan into the promised land so Joshua knows enough that he needs information about the enemy he needs information about the topography on the other side of the Jordan River and so he will send out his his two spies, his two his reconnaissance team, and he will wait for them to return so that he has additional information. Six. Interestingly, Israel is facing another water barrier. You may remember that we had the same situation as Israel is departing from Egypt. Israel is facing another water barrier. But this time, Pharaoh and his army are not upon them. The initiative is completely with Israel, with Joshua. The question that everyone may be asking is, how are we going to cross this flooding river? Of course, that answer belongs to God. But there has been no discussion about the river crossing exercise. And you can continue to read and you'll find in chapter 1 and then chapter 2. And it's not until chapter 3 that we find Israel 
preparing themselves to cross the Jordan that God finally tells them how this is going to happen. You may remember when we, uh, when Israel had departed Egypt, that Egypt wandered for seven days. That's when they were eating the unleavened bread. And they finally find themselves facing the Red Sea. And behind them is Pharaoh. And it's at that point that God teaches them a lesson. That Pharaoh and his army is not going to have any impact on their crossing. He's going to take them across the river. They needn't need to worry about Pharaoh and his army. Well, and by the way, I think Israel needed this. They needed um, this demonstration by God that they could trust him. It didn't make any difference who was around them, what the challenges were. Of course, this was the first generation for the most part. And sadly, they failed that test for being patient and faithful. But here we have Joshua preparing to cross the river. And as I said, interestingly here, they have a water barrier. Now, for ourselves, we often face challenging situations as well. Sometimes they're adversity. Other times it's a loss of a job. And other times it's an illness. We, ha- we might have an idea what to do. But even so, God is the only one who truly has an answer. Israel is is facing what could be called an impossible situation. Only God will have the answer. You see, Israel doesn't have fording equipment. Israel doesn't have boats. Israel is not going to be able to build a bridge. And even if they did, what kind of a bridge would it be for two, maybe three million people to cross? Uh, It would take years for them to cross. So however they're going to cross this raging river, this flooding river, it's going to be, it's going to, it will require it to be massive, a massive crossing area. So in our lives, we will face situations that also seem to be impossible. And for us, it may be impossible. But God has a solution. We may remember when Mary, soon to be the the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, she said, how can this be possible? And Gabriel explains it to her. And then when he's finished in Matthew 137, he says, with God, nothing is impossible. I always like that passage. With God, nothing will be impossible. Point seven. Notice that God does not give the solution to the water barrier situation. He hasn't given that information. We might expect Joshua to ask, Okay, arise, cross the river, but how? How on God's green earth are we going to cross this river that is overflowing its banks. Again, God does not say. 
And honestly, God really doesn't give Joshua the opportunity to ask. Why? I think it would be extremely comforting for God to say to Joshua, I'm going to, I'm going to part the waters of that rushing, flooding river. I don't want you to worry about that. I'm going to take care of it. But God doesn't say anything about the water barrier. He doesn't say anything. Let's face it. God's not worried. God's not worried about this flooding river. Again, why? God gives Joshua and Israel the chance to trust him. And I don't know if Israel is trusting God or if they're just afraid to ask because nobody asks. Joshua doesn't ask and God doesn't tell them. Not at this point. Often in our lives, we are faced with a problem and we simply don't have the answer to the problem. We know that God is the solution, but for some reason, he doesn't send someone to tell us how he's going to solve the problem. So should we sit and wait? Should we watch like the swollen river? Or should we ask God for his help? Get up and trust God for his help. I can only tell you that many times in my life that I thought a situation was out of control. And sometimes it probably was. But putting the situation in God's hand and trusting him for a solution more often than not brought that mountain to a molehill. And there were times when I thought there was probably no solution to this. But there was. And... Waiting on God, he provided the solution. Point eight, God provides encouragement. Notice that God speaks about the promised land. He doesn't speak about the water barrier. He doesn't talk about the river. What does he, what's his discussion here in Joshua 1? He speaks about the promised land. He says, now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea towards going down of the sun, meaning west, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsaken you. Well, he's speaking about the promised land, the land beyond the river. So it's interesting that God doesn't talk about this interim problem. He says, the land over there is yours. God has given them all the land. Notice that he had given them. It's the past tense. The land is already theirs. God has already given it to them. And by the way, this was a similar promise that God made to Abram. In Genesis thirteen seventeen, God says 
to Abram after Lot has chosen the land in and around Sodom, the Jordan River area. After that, God says to Abram, I'm giving you all the land wherever you walk. The land is yours. If you can walk there, it's yours, is what God says to Abram. Therefore, in reality, someone has already walked the land. Who was that? That was Abram. The land is already theirs. It's simply a matter of taking it. And the question now is, how do we take it? Point nine. God says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. And by the way, the pronoun you is a plural. So he says, as I was, excuse me, it's a singular. As I, the Lord, was with Moses, so I shall be with you. So this is a a promise to Joshua. I will not leave you, again, second person singular, nor forsake you, second person singular. So this promise is to Joshua. But it also applies to all Israel. And by the way, it applies to us. God will be with us in whatever we do. God is with us. And I think this is a tremendous promise. God said that he would be with him, Joshua, as he had been with Moses. Moses had been an extremely special leader of Israel. For God to be with Joshua in the same manner as he had been with Moses had to be, I think, a great comforting to Moses. I know When I was a child and we were going someplace, it was always a great comfort for mother or dad to take your hand. You're with them. Joshua had seen that kind of a relationship between God and Moses for 40 years. And now that same relationship is going to be between Joshua and God. So I think this is very comforting to Joshua. Joshua does not know what the future holds, but he knows that his relationship with God will be similar to Moses' relationship, and that is remarkable. Joshua knows that relationship. He watched it for 40 years, and now he has that same relationship. Now, before we get to the conclusion, let me give you a couple more thoughts. But Lord... What about the river? You know, that's been sort of the emphasis in this encouragement. What about the river? It's never mentioned. Never a hint. Why? I think God as the creator, as God is aware of this raging river, the river belongs to God. God doesn't need to worry about the river. God isn't going to have uh, some concern that this is this river is going to be a problem for Israel. He's the creator. He simply doesn't mention the river because it isn't a problem for God. To Joshua and to us, it's a problem, but not to God. God wants Joshua and Israel to trust him. If God wants Israel on the other side of the, of the Jordan, on the west side of the Jordan, 
then God will take them there. There's no obstacle that can prevent Israel's entry into the land, not even raging water. In the New Testament, we know that Jesus had no problem with raging water on the lake of Galilee. God loves carrying us through rough water. And the rougher the river, the rougher the water, the greater trust we should have in God. It's not a problem for him. The greatest problem for us are simple for God. And that really is an understatement. God wants us to read about Joshua and realize that he, God, had everything under control. God knew of of Joshua's problem, Israel's problems in eternity past. And his love, his sovereignty, his omniscience, and his omnipotence will easily provide the solution. So in conclusion, verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In essence, God is saying, be encouraged. Much more could be said about Joshua and his new responsibilities and the problem of the swollen Jordan River. But our conclusion, which must include encouragement, is this last verse, verse 9. God had also made this same promise to Moses. And now God repeats it to Joshua. Isn't it wonderful to know that we have no reason to be afraid or discouraged? Yes, it is because our God is with you. He's with us wherever we go. And remember, I've said this in the past, that the sense of where you go also holds the meaning of whatever you do. So we should be encouraged. God is with us. God is with you. He will take care of you. He will go with you wherever you go. And he will be with you with whatever you do. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you have made this promise, not only to Moses, you also made the promise to Abram and to his descendants. You make this promise to Joshua. And Father, we know that as we read it, it certainly was an encouraging promise to Joshua. But it should be just as encouraging to us because the application comes to us today. Help us, Father, as we face difficulties, challenges, whether in the job. Tomorrow, there may be significant difficulties, challenges on the job. We may be facing illness in the family, maybe our own. There may be adversities that will arise. But, Father, you are with us, and you will be with us wherever we go and with whatever we do. And we're thankful for those promises. And we're thankful, Father, for the reality and the truth of them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.